letzte Spielminute. 3 zu 1 für unseren BVB. Torschütze, der Spieler mit der Neuen, Sebastian! This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 439 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about a beautiful Saturday afternoon at the Westfalen Stadion and we will talk about the 18th home match on Wednesday in the German Cup against VfL Bochum. For all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I am doing well. The sun is shining, it's bluebird skies in Colorado and uh, Dortmund are just, they just can't stop winning. Yeah, high-flying Dortmund. We're back in the title race. It's ridiculous to say, really, considering how the season has gone so far, how many injuries and whatnot, but, you know, the title race in the Bundesliga is always dependent on how Bayern Munich are doing and they're crap right now. They're crap. They were locking themselves to win in Wolfsburg. Their generational world-class goalkeeper is in a bunch of controversy over them firing his best man <laughs> in the wedding, his goalkeeping coach, whatever his name is. And uh, Neuer not being <laughs> happy about that is apparently the biggest uh, controversy in Munich right now. Um all hilarious, of course, and uh, every reaction over there at the Sebener Straße is way over the top. But Matthias, as much Glee and Schadenfreude I have for Bayern uh, dropping a lot of points and Dortmund actually sneaking up uh, to them by winning four in the bounce, this, to me, I, I was really looking forward to this episode because it just feels like a celebration. This Saturday was just perfect in so many ways, not only because Dortmund absolutely <laughs> uh, just crushed Freiburg, who are, of course, a very good team. It was fourth against fifth, let's not forget, in the Bundesliga, but also just the the the, the whole, you know, setup of the day. It was World Cancer Day. There were signs everywhere around the Westfalenstadion, you know, asking people to get checked. You had this little bulge that uh, represents a testicular tumor on the center circle. And then, of course, Sebastian Alea in the second half, in front of the yellow wall, scores his first professional goal for Borussia Dortmund. And what a moment it was, how emotional it was. Uh, to me, it really was a historic game that far transcends the three points. To me, this what Sebastian Alea did in the entire stadium, the vibes. To me, it was a declaration of hope for so many reasons and thus I'm just looking forward to talking about it. I'm just elated how things are going right now overall for the black and yellow. So I know we will have a lot of episodes down the road where we will be more doom and gloom, but for now, <laughs> at least for this little island, 
for today, Matthias. I'm just very happy and in very good spirits. Well, yeah, I mean, it was um, it, it, it was a great afternoon for so many reasons. And yeah, I didn't originally know because I tuned in right before uh, kickoff. I didn't know what the, the little bump in the center circle was. Um, and then obviously I asked on Twitter and got uh, 20 people to explain it to me. Good, um, good. That means people are aware. Yeah, yeah, and that means uh, somebody somebody listens to me occasionally. <laughs> um, but it just, I don't, there, I can count probably on one or two hands in my life when I've gotten emotional during a sporting event. Um, and in terms of getting emotional during a, for a sporting event, which is just like another league game, we're not talking about a final or anything like that. This is the first for me, and that was with uh, Sebastian Alias Cole. Um, you know, we my, my wife lost her father in 2020 due to cancer. And so, you know, cancer, like I mentioned uh, in, in one of the previous episodes, I, I struggle to think of a family that I know that hasn't in some shape or form been touched by cancer. And so to, uh, you know, kind of have that happen, his little uh, fuck cancer um, emblem on his uh, boots, it was just perfect. And and yeah, I choked up a little bit. You know, I'm not an overly emotional person when it comes to, to things. Um, but that was that was cool. I have to say that was that the, that's, those are moments, as we say in, in German, you know, solche Geschichten schreibt nur der Fußball. Um, you know, those are stories that sports bring out specifically, you know, and I always counter when people say sports, ah, sports don't matter. It's like, yes, they do. You know, they, they matter a lot. And this is another one of those moments where it's like, if you scripted it in Hollywood, people would be like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But it's like, no, it really happened that way. And yeah. that's just, just really cool. And then obviously the... The knock-on effect from that, he's a striker, he scores his first league goal, and that's obviously a confidence builder in and to itself, taking the other uh, emotional aspects out of it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just think about <laughs> uh, what it meant, you know, how the team celebrated, and also just how the stadium erupted. You know, it was just so loud when uh, his name was chanted across all four stands. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely too choked up a little. I mean, the the fact that he is already scoring goals now in February, I would have never guessed. I would have said, okay, he's probably going to be out for the season or maybe like in the final month, maybe there's hope that he could return. But I would have felt this under highly unlikely. And the fact that he is not only just back, but already starting games and then playing this well already makes me very hopeful, which is why I said Declaration of Hope. I don't know. Maybe I'll use this as an episode title, but to me, um, this is, I don't know. It's a very transcending moment to me. And uh, I, you know, <laughs> I personally would love if ESPN or so would make a 30 for 30 out of this. Because it's it's just such a great story, and obviously it's it's being written in front of our eyes, and I feel like it's maybe just the first chapter, because uh, Sebastian Alea 
to me, in my book, is a game changer because when you see what a complete striker he is, and that's why when he was still playing for Frankfurt, I could have very well imagined him joining Dortmund then. He's just a very complete striker. You know, his hold-up play, his intelligence, his positioning. We can all see that he is not in peak physical shape yet, that, you know, he has lost a lot of weight too because he uses his body usually even better than he's doing right now. But still, I mean, to have this guy up front is just such a sea change for Dortmund's entire structure of the game. I mean, just look at Karim Adeyemi scoring all of a sudden. I think this is very much also done to Sebastian Alea and uh, the way he opens up space for other players. I mean, the, the first goal that Adeyemi scored very much was the Alea dummy in Leverkusen, which uh, set Adeyemi up in, in areas of space. But we've talked about this in episodes before that be it Mokoko, be it uh, Adeyemi or be it Malen, they all thrive the best if they have a striker next to them to play off of. And, uh, you know, Adeyemi obviously will be suspended for the Bochum game and also for the Bremen game because he uh, was sent off against Hanover and he uh, just had his fifth booking. But nevertheless, just having this confidence boost when we're talking about it, it's, it's just amazing. And um, Matthias... You're saying you're not that often emotional guy of things, understandable. However, Christian Streich is maybe a bit on the uh, other end of that spectrum and uh, was very unhappy with the refereeing performance. And I think we can talk about uh, the very early sending off uh, of Sidia, I think his name is. And uh, what do you what do you make of this entire scenario? Do you think do you agree with Christian Streich that it was too harsh? to send a player off or that uh, the referee weighed, weighed things impartially? So, um, usually, I mean, I like Christian Streich. I like that he is an emotional guy. He gets invested. He's been at this club for 200 years. Um, you can hardly understand a word he ever says. I mean, all of that is just awesome. Um, however, he does for a man his age to lack self-control the to the degree that he ha that he lacks over the course of his career um is problematic in my opinion i mean it's all about getting emotional it, you know it's not like he's 30 years old it's not like he's 40 years old i don't know how old he actually is but he's definitely north of 50 um and you know him getting sent off he even admitted okay, yeah, that's justifiable uh, in post-match uh, press conference that he overdid it and that he lost control over himself, which he's not allowed to. I'm sorry, you just can't. That's inexcusable. Now, as far as the referee performance goes, uh, with all due respect to Christian Streich and SC Freiburg, which is a club that I, I like and I respect for what they do, he's completely off his rocker. Um, the Sidia, that could have been his third yellow, already at that point. Um, I'm surprised it wasn't because, I mean, obviously you can't have three yellow cards, but, you know, there there were other incidents before. This referee was loose with the cards and not just against them, uh, not just against um, SC Freiburg. I mean, uh, let me 
try Guerrero to bring this had, up. Guerrero had one in the fifth minute already. Yeah, Guerrero had one. Julian Brandt got one because he kicked the ball away because he was frustrated. Adeyemi's yellow card. Okay, I can kind of see that one. Um, he just needs to he just slow, slow his roll a little bit, even though I love his work rate. Um, but no, it was not over the top. It wasn't, uh, you know, the referee made the right decision. Um, Kilian Sedia uh, was stupid. He was an idiot in that situation. He got a booking two minutes prior to that one. That was a, the second one was a very clear yellow card. The first one was a yellow card. There was one in between that, I believe even, or just prior to that. I mean, this all happened within like four minutes. Um, and it was against Adeyemi because Adeyemi owned him. I'm pretty sure Sidia is waking up uh, with nightmares of Karim Adeyemi running at him because he owned him. Just that simple. Um, and it's looking at statistically, Adeyemi attempted seven uh, dribbles against his opponent. In the beginning, it was Sidia until he got sent off. And the strike is just wrong. I mean, the ref overall, I thought, didn't have a great game. Um, it kind of settled in the second half, but he did. I feel like he was a little loose at times. But if we look at fouls counted, um, Dortmund 13, Freiburg 14. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty even in that way. So um, the the implied bias because that's what Christian Streich did. He was implying bias. Yeah, what he told is, the, the is fourth bullshit. official, basically, or yeah. set into the direction of the fourth official, is that he should don a yellow shirt. So what yeah, and he that's explained bullshit. at the news conference. Yeah, and, and he was like, oh, maybe I should have said it, you know, more uh, uh, to the my bench. bench yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, okay, fine. You know, I get it. I've played, I've coached. You get emotional in the moment, but he, he overdoes it very often and he's just flat out wrong but even it even if we take out that that second yellow card in the sending off prior to that Freiburg weren't doing anything I don't necessarily see them opening up even with 11 man on the pitch and at the end of the day it doesn't matter uh because it was a justifiable sending off it was a sending off that I put fully on Karim Adeyemi because he put Sidia under so much pressure and outplayed him, and the guy just didn't know any other way to stop him. And so that is part and parcel of the game. It wasn't controversial. It wasn't mean. It wasn't like a Blutgrätsche or anything like that. It was just two tactical fouls, and by the book, you're sent off. So, no, the referee didn't have a great game. Was he biased? No. Well, here's the thing. Referees try to avoid the sending off this early because it impacts the game to a degree that it almost decides the game. And in most cases, if it's like after, what was it, 17 minutes. So from that standpoint, I very much uh, understand why you can be miffed. But um, Christian Streich not being happy in Dortmund, I think, is a theme. And I think his frustration is probably accumulative because I think it's his 10th anniversary of not winning in Dortmund. <laughs> I mean, usually Freiburg get just chillacked. And um, what I find interesting is the main theme of most chillackings of Freiburg in Dortmund has been that Christian Streich wanted his players to play a positive attacking football, try to have possession, try to circulate, try to dominate. 
the whole Mirvola de Balham thing he always uh, proposes. And over the last couple of years, due to being <laughs> having his bell rung all the time, he has completely abandoned that and changed his setup. And he, you know, explained himself at the post-game news conference. Well, today we wanted to be compact and we wanted to play on the counter-attack and that was sort of uh, the original idea. Well, guess what, Matthias? SC Freiburg are a very decent side this season, have very good attackers and, uh, you know, when you give them a little whiff, a little chance, they will take them as we will talk about later. But before we focus on that one singular goal that Dortmund conceded, I just want to say how delighted I am with Borussia Dortmund dominating this game. I think it was like 70% possession before the sending off and, you know, it pretty much continued after that. Just the crispness of the counter-pressing, you know, having Marco Reus back in the starting lineup, uh, having Julian Brandt there, having Adeyemi, having Alea, that's sort of being your front four line and having Emre Can in midfield uh, <laughs> doing a very well, you know, very good job and even Guerrero played well and on the right side, you had Marius Wolf playing also really well. You know, we have talked a lot about the lack of cohesion and lack of identity. Well, if you look at the game against Leverkusen and now against the game, uh, now at the game against Freiburg, you see two instances of Dortmund pressing their opponent really well and uh, not really allowing many chances. I mean, obviously, Bayer Leverkusen with the individual quality will always create something. It's it's next to impossible that they do not. I mean, even Augsburg in their one win against Leverkusen this weekend still also needed a few good saves, so I think the ball went off the post. I get it. But nevertheless, to just see the collective performance of this Dortmund side against Freiburg, who are playing a really good season and just not letting them breathe whatsoever. You know, Freiburg had the ball for a second tried one or two passes, ball was gone, Dortmund had another attack. That to me is just the most encouraging thing right now, that this looks this good. <laughs> because I did not anticipate Dortmund pressing well at all this season. And to see it now, to see it work, actually makes me kind of hopeful. So I don't know how you see it, Matthias, but from where I stand, and obviously it's early and Dortmund have uh, lost their flow and momentum often very abruptly between games. So I don't want to, you know, completely jump on the hype train. But nevertheless, um, these two performances and looking at development of this team overall is very encouraging. And of course, once Freiburg were down to 10 men, Dortmund even stepped off the gas a little bit when it came to the attacking directness, if you will. Um, but obviously they corrected that uh, in the second half. But just overall game approach to not like fall asleep for the first five minutes or so, but to be on the throttle the entire game and not really allow anything. I mean, Freiburg had zero corners. Dortmund had 14. I think that's one of the main stats. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on the whole lineup and how Dortmund approached this game? And do you concur with me that there's encouraging signs to see. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, if I look at just statistically, I mean, ignoring possession, because obviously Freiburg go down to 10 men, you expect Dortmund to, to completely dominate possession. They had 76% possession, attempting 734 passes versus Freiburg's 226. But that's to be expected in that kind of situation. But we've seen it too many times that Dortmund have labored against teams that just 
became a shell and just kind of did that ultra low block. But Dalton had 26 shots to to Freiburg six. But for me, the most important stats are Dalton had 70 progressive passes, 70. Um, 11 from Bellingham, 10 from Guerrero, 14 from Schlotterbeck, and 11 from Zula, uh, and 33 progressive carries. And so that, uh, Marius Wolf, one of the leaders there. And, and by the way, Marius Wolf, I, I hope he stays at Dortmund for a long time, uh, which is something three years ago I don't think any of us would have said. Um, but those are the, the key indicators for me that, um, Dortmund said, no, we're, we're not going to be, I mean, yes, we're going to be patient at times, but it's about quick ball movement because so many times, and it's not just a Dortmund issue. It's in general, it can be an issue with teams when the opposition does that ultra low block is that you're very patient, patient to the point where it's slow. Yeah. Like you're Dortmund like, played in Mainz the first yes, half. And, and looking for that perfect little pass, but with very little movement and not moving your opponent. And Dortmund created a lot of width um, with, uh, be it on the left side with Adeyemi and on the right side with Wolf. And you had then, you know, kind of the the overlaps working relatively well, Um, even though Wolf really didn't have to overlap much with Brandt, but he worked well with Brandt. Adeyemi and Guerrero worked well together. And uh, that also allowed Marco Reus to kind of float, which I think is always kind of his best position is when he's kind of floating and uh so that progressive nature of passing and movement and carries that was the huge difference maker and they just tore freiburg apart because they moved them they kept on stretching them so effectively and um you know freiburg this isn't the freiburg style freiburg style has been more on the front foot so if all of a sudden you ask your team unlike an augsburg or a Bainz, or Union Berlin, who always try to play, especially Union Berlin, that kind of low-block shithouse football that I despise to my core. <laughs> but if you ask a team that doesn't normally play like that to then play like that and a man down, it just becomes really difficult, especially when a team with the quality of Dortmund then plays progressively and switches the ball and stuff like that. And I do want to talk about uh, Karim Adeyemi and why I think Terzic stuck with him even in so many games where Adeyemi, let's be honest, really didn't do much on an attacking sense. His work rate, because that's something Terzic talked about a lot um, over the last few months, is we need our wingers to track back, work and press, and when they are away from the ball to shift inside to be that second striker. And Adeyemi does that exceptionally well because in Salzburg, he was almost more a striker than a winger. So that is a natural inclination, whereas Brandt is more a creator. Um, Theoretically, Mann is also that guy, but he doesn't have the work rate defensively. I think Bino Gittens can be a little bit more that guy. Gio Reyna is a little also more like Brandt in that sense. So I think that's why he's sticking with Adeyemi. And it's now proving dividends. I mean, Adeyemi scoring two matches in a row. 
against two important, I mean, against two difficult opponents, playing very, very well. So playing well defensively. He needs to learn to calm himself and his tackles a little bit, obviously, uh, because the fact that he's getting a five yellow card match, one match suspension ahead of, I think, all of the defenders, um, <laughs> says says a lot, both positive and negative. Negative is his tackle form is not very good. Positive is he's getting stuck in and doing it. He's doing the work. And that is something that I think then works well with people like Amako Royce, whose counter-pressing has always been great. Uh, Julian Brandt has gotten much better over the last two years at doing that as well. So I feel like what we saw yesterday, for the most part, aside from maybe right back, that that's, you know, I think that'll be more a revolver uh, in terms of who plays there and maybe left back with Ryerson being able to play on either side. I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at the default starting 11 for Terzic, uh, now with Royce being back and Alea being able to start. And the one thing Terzic also talked about, for the first time, they actually have battles for positions. Training matters because you're playing for your position on the weekend. And he didn't have that. He said, you know, for the first half of the year, uh, first half of the season, our formation, everyone knew who we were going to play because that's who we had. We had to put like under 23 players on the bench. Now we actually have uh, people, you're not a guaranteed start. And that's a huge drive. And I think that that gets rid of complacency and pushes players to play more and play better. I think Rafael Guerrero had a really good game. And I, everyone knows I'm really hard on him defensively. Now, granted, Freiburg didn't do anything. Um, but if he's feeling the pressure because Rayason is there, hopefully he'll step it up. Because whether or not he stays at Dortmund past this season, it doesn't matter. Other teams will still look at it. You know, he's playing for a contract no matter what. And he's got some pressure now. And I think that is incredibly, incredibly important. And that's why I think players like Thomas Meunier, he's going to be gone because why? Dortmund don't really need him anymore now. Um, well, and, we'll see. You, you see this pressure true. thing actually might yes. make him better too. I mean, True, it could, but he's, can, he's on the wrong side of, of age. That I mean, that's, that's the problem. He's the wrong side of 30 at this point. And I also think we are looking at the starting center back pairing moving forward. Uh, because women's isn't really injured anymore. Um, but uh, if we looked at Mainz, if we looked at Augsburg, you know, we just saw his age. And Schlotterbeck and Zula are just faster and more physically imposing now at this time. Uh, but to be able to bring Mats Hummels off the bench, <laughs> are you kidding me? And uh, players like Gio Reyna or Donny Mahan, Mahmoud Dahoud, did really well coming off the bench, I thought. Also, Imre Can, I... I know you're not a Chan fan, and we all have our issues with him, but what Tezic has done with him over the last few games, especially here and especially in Leverkusen, that role has been working really well. And Chan, you know, against Leverkusen was one of the best players and also against Freiburg was one of the best players. Emre Can against Leverkusen was an absolute key player because of the tactical switch that Dortmund did. And I have zero issues with Emil John if he plays like he's playing right now. I have a million issues if he's playing like he's playing in the last game against Gladbach before the World Cup. Yes, yes, of course. But him too. 
there are now other players pushing in those positions. Saliochan's going to be back um, in the next match. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Jamie Bino Gittens get the start either against Bochum and or Bremen. But you also have Mann and you have Gio Reyna. So, I mean, Dortmund have... This is this is the crazy thing, Stefan. <laughs> Dortmund, have, Dortmund have options, and not just options. They have really good options. And now this depth is there, and I hope it can continue for the rest of the season because, you know, it right now it's feeling a little bit like the second half of the season when Tezic was in control the first time in terms of building up some momentum, building up, yeah, there were still occasional bad matches because that's just the nature of sports, but they have momentum and belief, and I think that's that's really important. Yeah, like like I said, but uh, again, <laughs> we've burned we've been burned so many times. I <laughs> I do want to wait a little bit longer before I completely jump on the hype train. But as you said, there's so many encouraging signs. I mean, let's talk about Ayimi uh, a bit more because. He not only scored his first goal in front of the yellow wall, which, by the way, was a really nice goal. Um, it was off a corner kick routine. It was a back heel with Bellingham. And uh, I want to say a really nice finish, composure in a very crowded box. Um, first of all, what are your um, your ratings on his flick that he did? Out of 10? What, what's the... Uh, oh... Um, I don't, gosh, I don't know. What, what, what flick did you like better? The one he did after his own goal or the one he uh, <laughs> falling off uh, the the huddle, let's say? Um, I, I would say um, I would give that a... Comparing it to Aubameyang, <laughs> I would give that a 9 out of 10. Also because watching that made both my knees buckle and my back go out. <laughs> so, uh, But he is also less than half my age, which ugh, don't even want to think about that. Um, I'm just glad he didn't injure himself in either <laughs> one of those situations where I get it. It's cool. It's fun. It's awesome. He's young. He's excited. But let's cool it with the, the somersaults because... You know, let's not get injured doing something like that, okay? All right, mom. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think his form is good, but uh, yeah, point taken, I guess. But uh, what I wanted to lead up to is actually that he broke the record of speed in the Bundesliga. I think overall all-time record since these things are being tracked with 36.7 kph, which is just... Uh, mind-boggling and I think uh, he set that record chasing after the ball he was never going to get which to me I find you know talk about the hustle I find that very interesting to to uh, yes. ha have it expressed that way Let's absolutely say. especially because good lord we've had enough over the last 10 years 10 plus years of doing this podcast we've had enough wingers who definitely didn't have that kind of hustle um, I mean obviously Marco Royce has that kind of hustle. Kuba Blachikovsky had that kind of hustle. But then there were plenty who did not. So seeing that, especially in such a young player, absolutely love it. Yeah. No, it's it's very encouraging. And of course, that uh, his first touch has improved, his technical skill. He is passing the ball better into the right foot of the teammates and stuff like that. Just the, the little things he noticed, I think he has worked a lot 
and uh, improved a lot during uh, this little off time and uh, it shows you know I'm, I'm 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 positively surprised let's put it this way but um i'm also positively surprised <laughs> that bruce who don't are scoring off set pieces now and uh, as i just talked about the first three goals dortmund scored against freiburg were all off corner kicks and to nico schlotterbeck obviously the way he scored the opener first of all it had to go in because it's the curse of the x <laughs> and uh, he had to flex on freiburg <laughs> Um, admittedly, the goal and how it went in, a little bit luck was there involved, I would say, that you squeeze it in the uh, near post just between the arm and the leg of the goalkeeper. Um, you know, but it was also a very good finish. But granted, Dortmund do much better now on set pieces. We have scored against Freiburg off a set piece, we've scored against Augsburg off a set piece, and now, of course, the first three goals against Freiburg, all of corner kicks. And Terzic, after the game, I think the first thing he highlighted at the news conference, or almost the first thing, is that Dortmund had uh, eight corners in the first half and Freiburg had zero. And considering that Freiburg are one of the most lethal teams in the Bundesliga, um, that is a very good stat to have because you, of course, want to limit their opportunities. But on the flip side, um, Nico Schlotterbeck gave a lot of credit to Dortmund's new assistant coach, Armin Reutershahn, and how he is setting up uh, the set-piece routines for Dortmund and uh, basically widening their bag, if you will, of options and uh, plays and, uh, you know, how you set a screen, etc., etc. So to me, this is also very encouraging because, as you know, sometimes you can just win a game with a set-piece where uh, nothing else really works. I think the winner against Freiburg and ob obviously having uh, against Mainz, I'm sorry, and obviously having Sebastian Allaire in there uh, really does help because Allaire nearly had another assist for uh, Marco Royce of, I think it was a corner. Um, but just what I wanted to say is that there are obviously, I want to say two phases of a set piece. First, the initial inbound where you maybe deflect the ball and then uh, have a, or, or let's say you, you, you flick it on to another player and then you score directly off it or you just score directly off it or you have the second phase where maybe the opponent already clears the ball but then you have the chance to uh, re-enter the ball into the box and um, Dortmund look threatening on both of these occasions. And in the past it was so that Dortmund A um, would usually just hit the first uh, defender and then eat a counter-attack and B, that on the flip side, they would often very much concede from that second phase of a set piece. And right now, to flip this around a little bit makes me very, very happy. And uh, of course, the Alea goal was also a really nicely worked uh, set piece routine where you then had Guerrero open to play that cross in to Alea. And um, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, if this can become a consistent weapon and considering you have Schlotterberg, you have Zule, you have Alea, uh, so on and so forth, uh, there are a lot of players in, on the Dortmund side that obviously can be very threatening uh, when it comes to headers, but also just uh, overall, um, you know, how, how to put away the ball <laughs> in, in, in many ways, you know, from Jude Bellingham. I think this is going to be a theme continuing because Dortmund just look very good right now and I don't see a reason why it wouldn't continue for them. I agree, especially if we look at, you know, at least the next couple of opponents. 
um, and taking that momentum into the Champions League against Chelsea. Um, this is this is really good. I mean, obviously every win is good, <laughs> especially in in the Bundesliga season. That's just so extremely tight, um, both at the top and a little bit less now at the bottom, but uh, definitely at the top. I mean, if you think about it, uh, everybody from first to sixth is in a title race, and after 19 match days, I don't even remember when we could say that. Yeah, you know, that, I, that I, many I love teams the, are in the, it. the kicker cover where they were like, title race actually, basically a play of the love actually movie, <laughs> which, yeah. uh, which uh, yeah. I find very clever. I like it. Yes, yes, they did a good job. They did a good job. But obviously Dortmund... Um, are now within touching-ish distance of league leaders Bayern and uh, second place Union Berlin, which I still, I'll be honest, I still don't know <laughs> how Union Berlin is there. The quality of their squad is not great. Um, they play horrible football. They get a lot of lucky bounces. I mean, it's it's shades of Schalke <laughs> under Tedesco I don't when they know. finish second. I don't think that's an insult we should I level at Union Berlin. I understand that they <sighs> don't have maybe the, 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 the fleshiest pedigree, but I want to say I they just... do a lot of things better than you think, but also I think yeah. we are all very much tainted by Union Berlin and how they usually play. Obviously, it is not the tastiest brand of football, but saying it's the... Schalke's Tedesco, uh, Tedesco no, it, it just it reminds me of that, or of of you know Dirk Schuster's Darmstadt. You know, it just yeah, it's 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 more refined than that. But oh, I just I hate watching <laughs> Union Berlin matches because they'll be outplayed and win constantly, all the time, and it's just it's it's really frustrating to watch. Um, for for many reasons, because in my heart, I still believe if you play better, you should win. Um, and they do their job really, really well. They're obviously well, very well coached in playing this style of football, but ugh, I just I just can't. I just sorry. I just fine. For I mean, for me, um, you know, if the obviously Bayern are going to be in the top three, uh, but if the top three at the end of the season are you know, Dortmund, Bayern, and Eintracht Frankfurt, I will be happier from the sense of football quality. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, obviously Eintracht Frankfurt are a really good team. Um, so it's not unrealistic to have this happen. And obviously uh, I'm just enjoying that Union Berlin is uh, doing a better job that, than RB Leipzig right now. Because screw them. Um I'm, I think everyone's happy that anyone's doing better than RB Leipzig. It's true. I mean, it's aside from maybe Hoffenheim, uh, even though I prefer Hoffenheim over RB Leipzig. So it's like, and that's like, ugh. yeah. But um, you know, it, either way, it's it's exciting, it's interesting, it's fun. Every single match from every team is meaningful, and I love being able to say that after 19 matches in the Bundesliga, and it's it's that way in a lot of European leagues, and um, it's it's a great thing to see. I mean, I watched a crazy Feyenoord uh, PSV match on the weekend, and there are four teams within like two or three points of each other at the top of the Eredivisie, yeah. which is also great. You know, um, didn't Hazard score with his first yes. touch? <laughs> yes, yes, which was which, it was cool. And, and, and I Jovic, like seeing quasi. That. Yes, and I, I like seeing that. Um, but 
you know, we have a match uh, uh, coming up. Um, you know, evening, midweek DFB Pokai matches just have so much trauma <laughs> as a Dortmund fan. Well, I'm not done talking about the Freiburg game, though. So I know, but we're talking about momentum, and it's if there's a momentum killer, it's these kind of games. <laughs> yeah, also, a way to Bremen can also be a T game. Shall I not say the full word? Um, but yeah, um, speaking of other momentum killers, I wanted to talk, of, of course, about the uh, equalizer that Freiburg scored with uh, Lukas Höhler. Key. key scene. Yeah. So, like you, like you said earlier, you said key scene. So, tell me why, in your mind, this is a key moment. Well, first of all, it was a gift. Um, again, because Dortmund are just very giving, very, very giving club. We love giving other teams goals um, because it's just in our nature. Um, and and again, unfortunately, you know, Schlotterbeck was involved, but he's in defense, so obviously he's going to be involved in most goals Dortmund concede. But what for me was key was the reaction Dortmund showed because, as we all know, we've seen those matches where... That's the first of many stupid goals that Dortmund concede in a match to give away something they should have won. And that didn't happen. It's almost like the reaction to that was the polar opposite of, oh, hell no. And normally conceding like that just before halftime is bad. I would say it was actually good and helpful for Dortmund. It would have been worse if this would have happened in like the 55th minute or 60th minute. Because now at halftime... Tezic and his team could be like, whoa, guys, let's recalibrate. Okay, forget that. Here, here are the things we need to work on. Because he even talked about it. You know, we showed some things at halftime to adjust. And Dortmund came out flying and then just blew Freiburg away. You know, Freiburg had that little glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope was extinguished after three minutes. And so... Um, in my opinion, it was key because it showed, you know, I got so tired of all these discussions about Dortmund, you know, and mentality. And even a reporter in the post-press conference brought mentality up again. And I'm like, really? Now? Good question. Um, and you could see Tezic was getting really annoyed in that press conference, which I also enjoyed seeing because he's usually such a nice guy. And occasionally I want him to be less nice. Um, and that was just one of those situations then where Dortmund decided, no, we're not going to do this. We are going to be more progressive. Because like you said, um, after Dortmund scored, they were in control. They, you know, they, they got a little slower. You know, they, they kind of chilled a little bit. And that's when the mistakes happen. Not when Dortmund speed things up, which is funny. Um, you'd think that's when mistakes happen. No, it's when they get slower, you know, prodding, uh, and, and just kind of being lax me mentally when they're slow. When they're fast, they're crisper in their decision-making. And I think that was one of the main things that Tazic made sure they knew at halftime, and then in the second half, they didn't stop for 45 minutes. They just kept hammering away at Freiburg. And that's why, for me, that was such a key scene. It is funny how Dortmund can just, in this stadium, build this kind of momentum just this dynamic we saw and the way Dortmund piled on the pressure is just fantastic to see. I mean, SC Freiburg have excellent defenders and yes, they have been shellacked by Wolfsburg not so long ago, 6 nothing. 
So maybe not entirely a novelty for Freiburg, but nevertheless, I personally rate them a lot. But Dortmund were just too fast. Dortmund had ideas and Dortmund had routines and Dortmund had automatisms and things to do where Freiburg could not catch up. Yes, they were down a man, but nevertheless, we've seen it often enough that teams can slug it out being down to 10 and make it really difficult for the opponent to score, um, which... Again, I really like that Dortmund also uses set pieces now as a form <laughs> to to defeat that. And uh, Freiburg's slow block, or whatever you want to call their organization, just it, it did not stand a chance. Dortmund was too fast, too good, too technical, and they just had too they had just joy, you know, Spielfreude, as we say in German. I don't I don't understand why of all the words uh, the Germans do and use that there isn't really uh, an English counterpart or Spielwitz <laughs> also another word I would use to describe that I think it was it five back heels that we saw in and around the box I mean the the one that got Sedia um, sent off I think uh, Bellingham sent uh, Adeyemi with a back heel there too we had the Julian Brandt back heel and um, let's talk about Julian Brandt because I wanted to do that anyway and now that I bring him up might as well do it now, because to me it is time to call his agent, if you're Sebastian Kehl, and say, Willem, or whatever the fuck his name is, um, how does your client feel about uh, long-term future at Borussia Dortmund? Because, my God, Julian Brandt, going from being in the me being in the Julian Brandt high very early on as he signed for Dortmund and being super excited about him, to then being almost down and out, where we were like, yeah, this is a make-or-break season for Julian Brandt, and I'm not sure he's going to make it, to now be a player that has understood the criticism leveled at him. You know, he said at the podcast that he has broken coaches mentally because he just does not track back correctly, to turn into a player that actually plays hard, that uh, finishes through on tackles, and that... Um, presses opponents hard and on top of that has for the most part uh, completely erased the boneheaded mistakes we all remember that one Leipzig game where he scored a workhouse goal but then also basically passed it into his own net twice where he just passed it to I don't know uh, Timo Werner or so uh, a few years ago to, to become now one of the most consistent players in Dortmund and one of the most important creators we have in our system Someone that is the link between attack and midfield and uh, just, I don't know, makes things happen, gives us structure, is fun to watch. Um, I personally am so impressed and so thankful for this development because you have very often much seen the opposite. But he has hung in there, he has gotten himself up by his own bootstraps, as we say. And I'm just very, very happy uh, about this development and right now he's one of the best players in Dortmund and he is one of the best attackers and scoring how he scored that goal in the 69th minute to have this kind of swerve ping on the inside of the post Mark Flecken was just standing there in awe with this mouth open because there's nothing he could do about it what a finish Julian Brandt to crown what I described as a world-class performance overall uh, on that afternoon. I cannot be happier with this development and how Julian Brandt is playing and consistently playing 
because I'm not just saying this because he played that way against Freiburg, where if we praise, for example, Rafael Guerrero, yes, he played really well against Freiburg, but you cannot really point at the continuous streak of good games. Meanwhile, Julian Brandt, I think this season, uh, for months now, um, if you add the uh, uh, the the, the pre-World Cup stint uh, together, I want to say has played really well on a high level consistently, very few mistakes, very important all the time, and of course has a uh, scoring output or being a, an assist output either way. I'm just elated to have him as a player. And uh, if I'm honest, um, there was one thing that always irked me about the Torgen Hazard thing is that he was wearing number 10 because he's not a number 10. Julian Brandt right now is wearing 19, also a very important number in the history of Borussia Dortmund. But I personally would not mind if come next season he is wearing number 10, maybe with a new contract in his pocket. What are your thoughts, Matthias? I agree completely and utterly. Uh, the turnaround of Julian Brandt has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, like you said, two years ago, um, you know, especially during the that last season with Lucien Favre, um, most Dortmund fans would have been okay if he left. Yeah, I mean, I've it's, written it's him like, off for go, a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, all of us have simply because. We saw moments of brilliance, like Lasso always says, moments of brilliance uh, aren't enough. Individual moments just aren't enough. And now we're, we're not looking at individual moments of really good performances by Julian Brandt. We're looking at weeks and weeks of good performance. Now, obviously, he's going to have a bad game. Everyone does. It's human nature. Uh, Holland didn't score on the weekend. <laughs> um <laughs> But, uh, you know, it happens. But uh, at the same time, the consistency we've seen from him, also last season under Marco Rosa, in a season of a lot of light and shadow, he was definitely amongst the light. And this season, also in the matches where it's just been tough, he hasn't been the problem. He really has not. And that's why I think, that's why I said what I said. You know, um, for the most part, like, you know, maybe tweaking the fullbacks occasionally, uh, the starting 11 we saw against Freiburg was probably going to be Tezic's preferred starting 11. And why? Because these are players that now track back, press, and work hard. And that includes Julian Brandt, which is a fantastic thing to say. And it's great to see. Um, so, no, it's, it's long may it continue. He does need a break. Every now and again. But the good thing is, Gio Reyna, throw him in there. I would start maybe Gio Reyna against Bochum. Um, and, and kind of, and then maybe you bring on Julian Brandt at halftime or in the second half, because obviously Gio Reyna isn't completely match fit yet. But to have that more creative wing outlet that Julian Brandt is, uh, that also can score goals, I think that's that's something that uh, Dortmund really thrives from. And that's where, you know, now a little bit of rotation is needed, especially because, you know, big cup tie, then another big, every, every Bundesliga match is big now because it's so tight at the top. And then you've got Chelsea. So, um, Julian Brandt, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Just my compliments, kudos. I'm just very happy with that. And of course, 
You know, the party just continued in Dortmund also because of the bench. He just said, Gio Reyna, you know, you can bring on Daniel Malen. You can bring on Mahmoud Dahoud. And of course, Jamie Bino Gittens, who just glides past the Fenners. If, if, as, I think I tweeted as if they were Casper the Ghost. Because he just, I don't know, it's a little shimmy. I don't know how he does it. Because sometimes it just looks too easy. He just, yeah, he just steps forward with the ball. He doesn't even do a trick and he's past his defender. It shouldn't be that easy. Especially not uh, Freiburg defenders. But my god, <laughs> we can already see how good he will be. And how good he already is, of course. And, you know, obviously it was his shot in the uh, in the reverse fixture that sort of opened up the winning alley for Dortmund. And this time, again, he has been absolutely tremendous coming off the bench, running into space, creating chances. You know, he had this 1v1 situation with Flecken where he was arguably fouled and it could have been even the second red card um, but he kept up, of course, and then, uh, yeah, did not manage to not make Mark Flecken, but nevertheless, just uh, fantastic to have this sort of spark off the bench, and then together with Gio Reyna, who, of course, is also a really good player, and if you look at the goal that Reyna scored, just overall the the, the whole moment, because it came right after Bino Gittens missed that one we one situation, but uh, Dortmund did not give up whatsoever. You had Rafael Guerrero, you had triangle building, and then this little neat layoff by Guerrero, which I think was, was it his third assist? I think it was. Um, just, Could be, yeah. yeah uh, it, it definitely uh, was, unless he also assisted, assist, assisted, assisted the Schlotterbeck goal, but I don't think he did, so I think he has registered three assists in this game. Um, of course, Girena, um scored this goal I don't know I think someone on Twitter said it was Lionel Messi like because he too likes these low strikes into the far corner and I agree it, it was just a really well taken hit and overall there was just nothing Freiburg could do about the handful of problems Dortmund can offer in the late stage of the game and to me that is you know we talk about hope we talk about encouragements and obviously we're talking about depth but to me, this is the materialistic way of why I see Dortmund win a lot of games. Not only did they improve their set-piece thing, not only did they improve their counter-pressing so they can deal with opponents like Leverkusen, where they can win the ball up high up the field and then just pounce, but they can also, if it's still tied or their goal down in the final 20, 30 minutes or so, bring on players like Mokoko, like Reyna, like Bino Gittens, and change the entire dynamic of the offense uh, and, you know, add a quality that maybe wasn't there beforehand because, you know, Bino Gittens is probably the best 1v1 player that we have right now on the team. And if he gets to run at tired defenders, gets, guess what? He will create space. He will run into the box by himself. He will be able to square off the ball here and there. So these situations will obviously logically uh, be able to arise and you know talk about Moda Hood who I still rate a lot you know he can also change a game just by his passing because he is also very progressive I think Bino Gittens did he lead the team in progressive ca carries or, or was he right behind Wolf but nevertheless in the 20 they were tied yeah in the 20 minutes he played just think about that think about what this does to defenses and uh, how they have to account for that and what a headache 
this will be going forward. So I'm just very positive right now because a lot of puzzle pieces are falling into place right now that we didn't have beforehand. And uh, so for right now, I'm I'm really feeling good about Dortmund and uh, their points total toward the end of the season because we can sit here and look at the table and say, well, it's really tight and of course worry about them making the Champions League uh, qualification or not but right now they definitely look like they will easily make the top four and uh, we can maybe even talk about the top spot because Bayern Munich right now do not look their best obviously they can always turn around and you know make it so that uh, us dreaming about a championship uh, looks almost ridiculous but for the for this minute right now um, I think it's it's warranted that if you're a fan that you at least can dream a little Full stop. And now you can talk about Bochum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I I agree with you. I mean, it's it's nice to have hope. Yes. And that's something that's you know at times seemed elusive this season, especially uh, before the World Cup, uh, where Dortmund. You know, I mean, we were down six seventh, and it was like, oh gosh, how is this going to turn around? And well, it has. Partially also because other teams have dropped points, but that's the nature of the beast. Uh, all you can do is control your own fate, and if you come out of the gates with four wins from four, that's a that's a pretty good way to do that. Yeah, only on Union Berlin is the other team that has managed that, which in itself also a, a massive performance from them. So credit. Yeah, yeah, do. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I've teased it with the 18th home match. Usually uh, Dortmund playing in Bochum is the 18th home game because uh, it's uh, the small Revier derby, as uh, Edin Tessic said. And obviously uh, uh, how things are looking, it's going to be the big Revier derby uh, very soon because it's going to be the only Revier derby. Um, but obviously we'll play them in the cup on Wednesday and we all know... That's going to be one of the most difficult games uh, to survive for the Black and Yellows because uh, VfL Bochum right now themselves are on a tear when they play at home. They are shellacking teams. I think uh, they just uh, completely embarrassed TSG Hoffenheim, who of course just fired their hapless coach. But um, yeah, I personally am very much looking forward to this game because I have been in Bochum in this beautiful little schmuckkästchen as we say <laughs> uh, this little stadium which is a true football stadium it's a true football ground and, and just watching football there is a lot of joy and you know especially in the Bundesliga you just just get that pure bratwurst smell it's just perfect I love being there uh, even though of of course uh, right now for for Wednesday Bochum are our big rivals and I should hate everything about them uh, but I personally just cannot because uh, I've had too many good moments and too much good currywurst in, in Bochum. Um, so, Matthias, it's going to be a very interesting game um, for many reasons. Um, but what makes you, uh, let's say, optimistic that Dortmund will, after 90 or 120 minutes or a penalty shootout, come out on top of this cup match? Well, first of all, it's. I think we'd be remiss if we wouldn't mention it's going to be the brother battle between the Schlotterbecks. So yeah, just like Kevin the Super Bowl, basically. Yep, plays for Bochum. Uh, he's there on loan, correct? Yes, I from believe, Freiburg. Uh, from Freiburg. 
So that'll be one thing. Uh, Bochum, you know, under uh, Lech have really turned things around. When he took over the club, they had one point in the Bundesliga. Um, and that has dramatically changed. They're not in the relegation spots. So good kudos to them. They play, uh, they're more dangerous now, more compact, um, less gung-ho under Reis as under Reis. But obviously that Bochum presented Dortmund with plenty of problems last season. Um, but uh, I would, though not completely ignore the performance against Hoffenheim, you can't entirely compare Hoffenheim, who are sliding headlong into relegation zones um, and just fired their manager with Borussia Dortmund, who are in the complete opposite uh, form curve and ascendancy. Obviously, the cup writes its own laws, uh, <laughs> as we say in Germany, schreibt die eigenen Gesetze. Um, but, and, and there's going to be a little bit of emotion, especially amongst fan bases. It's close. And it's funny you mention, you know, pretty soon it'll be the only Rivia Dabi. I mean, I, I also believe that. I think Schalke are, are done uh, I mean, in my childhood. did they hire the coach that only won one point with Bochum? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, in my childhood, uh, you know, looking at the 80s, Dortmund against Bochum was the only Rivia Dabi because Schalke were in the second Bundesliga for the better part of a decade. So um, maybe that'll happen again. <laughs> I was just gonna say. So I kind of hope again. not, but you never know. No, no, no. I mean, all kidding aside, Schalke in the Bundesliga is just something that has to happen. Um, as much as we obviously hate them and despise them and make fun of them, uh, the Bundesliga is richer with having them in there and having that rivalry. Yeah. Um, My life is certainly richer with six points against yes. Schalke every season. Yes, of course, of course. Uh, and that's why I have, you know, these little hopes that somehow Kaiserslautern manages to get promotion. But that's a different topic. Um, as far as Bochum goes, you know, this is a match that Dortmund have to win for many, many reasons. One, they have aspirations to advance further in the cup, uh, where they should be counted amongst the favorites, uh, or at least contenders for it. Beating Bochum, um, you know, I mean, on paper... Uh, Dortmund are a significantly better side than VfL Bochum. Uh, but again, those those midweek evening matches, and I think it's going to be cold, but it should be dry. <laughs> um, usually it's rainy. You know, it's like November midweek matches are always the ones Dortmund loses, I feel like, for like 30 years. So we'll see. I mean, Dortmund come in it with confidence. Bochum come with renewed hope and confidence. It's going to be a good, it's going to be an exciting match. Uh, but I do believe Dortmund will just be quality-wise too good. They just can't do the boneheaded mistakes. Um, because Bochum do have, you know, I mean, Hoffmann, he's a decent enough striker. He he He's good at scoring goals when he gets a chance. Antwi Ajay is super fast. So that's that's like an Achilles heel you kind of got to be careful of. It's just that counterattack. I assume Bochum are not going to go try to go toe-to-toe with Dortmund. I, my assumption will be more like an Augsburg or a Mainz approach. So, so they're going to sit deeper. They're going to look for counterattacking opportunities yeah. and set pieces. They're going to wait for our so, mistakes. That's what correct. Bochum Absolutely. thrive off. And anything else would be stupid. I mean, if they open it up, Dortmund are just going to destroy them. Uh, that's their best opportunity and try to, you know, get the silly fouls around the, the penalty area. And and that's where maybe that's when not having Adeyemi is really good because, 
You know, the foul he made where he got the booking was unnecessary. You know, the player was near the touchline. He there was no threat. You don't need to you don't need to tackle there. You just don't. Um, and if cooler heads prevail, then hopefully that doesn't happen. And you know, Schlotterbeck chill. Uh, he's he's been performing better, and hopefully that continues. And the nice thing is with Niklas Zule, Zule always just seems calm, and has a very calming presence about him. It's uh, funny so how we haven't we'll, really we'll brought see. him up so far, even though he's no. also playing really well. Yes, he is. I mean, he is the solid rock in defense. Um, I think people always underestimate his speed just because of his size, but he is pretty fast, and he gives certain flexibility. He could play at right back if he needs to. Um, I do see in the proposed lineup for Dortmund that Emil John is in there uh, on Kika's website. I disagree with that. I think we're going to see Zalyochan. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if we see Mahmoud uh, Dahoud. Uh, so you have someone who can control and be creative. I, I don't know if this is the right match to put Emre Can in there and, and you know, just have a box-to-box guy and Bellingham paired up there. Uh, it needs a little bit of craftiness and creativity with speed, and Dahoud can do that. Well, guess what? So we have I would options like now. Yes, that's great Great to see. Uh, I would like to see Mo Dahoud start against Bochum, or at least get significant playing time, and I think Salia Chan uh, should come back as well. I also wonder if we will have uh, Riasson back, because I think he was out, was it a cold or something? He was definitely not available yes, against yes. Freiburg. So I do wonder if uh, we would see peak Guerrero only in uh, spurts now, because uh, Riasson is the foot up his behind now uh, by playing ahead of him when and if he is fit so these are things I do wonder about and of course I also do wonder when uh, Mats Hummels will make an appearance again because however this game will go um, I can very much imagine that Tersic does want to make a few changes here and there just uh, you know ahead of the Bremen game to uh, you know have some more fresh legs because As you said, every game is important now, and this is that part of the season. It's just very enjoyable. I'm now looking forward to every game and to not be like, ugh, don't want playing again. It's the 11th millionth game within this week. I cannot watch this team anymore. No, I am personally looking very much forward um, to this particular game because there is so much fire in this. The stands, the stadium, it will all be a flame. It will be burning, and I want Dortmund to come in there and say, Wurstwillis Currywurst is much better than whatever you have with Dunning House, so you can all screw right off and uh, just punch him in the mouth, get a win, and, you know, walk home, basically, because it's really just that close to each other. As uh, Tessic said today, they're staying in their own team hotel in Dortmund, And uh, just drive over with their team bus uh, for this game. So, um, yeah. I I don't know what else to say. Obviously, um, I assume that Manuel Riemann will once again have the game of his life. <laughs> I assume that uh, Antje Adre uh, will... Or Ajay, rather, sorry. Uh, once again, have a good game against Zorun because he so often has... Um, I do think that uh, with uh, Logira in uh, central midfield, they have a very conniving player. Um, so you can always say that Bochum do not have the best quality. 
just because their budget wouldn't allow it. But I do think that they have a healthy mix of difference makers in their teams and uh, players that have a lot of experience and that, uh, you know, just, just know what to do in these kinds of situations. So they are a very dangerous team. And a lot of uh, other Bundesliga sides, including Dortmund last season, have learned this in many ways. And of course, uh, you know, if I remember correctly, Dortmund uh, drew away from home in Bochum last season and then uh, ensured that uh, Bochum would uh, remain in the Bundesliga by losing in ridiculous Dortmund fashion against them. So I very much hope that uh, this time around... uh, Dortmund have a flawless record against this team. Because at least, yes. this, as far as I know, this season we beat them quite convincingly, right? Wasn't it like a... I, I believe so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What What's your prediction? Um, I will go with uh, a Dortmund win. I will say... You know they'll they'll. I don't predict a clean sheet. Um, it's just because you know it's the way things happen. I think Dortmund are going to win three one. Yeah, I think I think that's a solid prediction. But uh, I actually think that Dortmund are going to uh, do what uh, Mosi done and Sebastian Kehl and Lucas Barrios did to them in uh, was it two thousand eight. Nine, I can't remember. Must have been two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Still remember that because it was the fiftieth birthday of my uncle, and uh, we were um, going to that birthday party. And I remember being—it was like a super big party, and we were in some hotel. And I was watching this game uh, in the hotel lobby. Uh, in the it was a conference on the screen because it was out of town, and. Uh, it was just one of the coolest wins because Dortmund scored just uh, really cool goals. Uh, it was just, you know, it was one of those um, games where you could really feel it was still, I don't want to say beginning of club era, but you could just, you know, feel that Dortmund had their flow and their mojo going and uh, Bochum, I think they were relegated in that season anyway, but they were just completely without a chance because Dortmund just had that swagger about them and... Uh, you know, since Dortmund are feeling themselves a little bit now, uh, I am saying 4-1 again because uh, that's my lucky number when it comes to wins against Bochum and having happy memories. So uh, here's some more memories against Bochum that are <laughs> being remembered in like uh, 15 years from now. Um, but nevertheless, Matthias, um, I very much enjoyed doing this podcast with you uh, today because, you know, so many positive to positive things to talk about i do not think either of us really went on a rant for once so that's pretty good i mean i do like our rants don't get me wrong yeah. but you know just just having good vibes for 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 once can't complain about that no it's it's nice to be nice <laughs> at least that's what my that's what my wife always tells me <laughs> all right matthias uh Thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking Borussia Dortmund with me. We shall be back with another episode on Thursday. Um, I will have uh, a new guest on this uh, show, so we'll see how that goes. But um, 
I would also have to, well, I don't want to say have to be because uh, I'm, I'm gladly doing it, but uh, I'm on double duty today because I will um, be on the uh, BVB part. We, of course, had a cover on uh, last week or last time around uh, to do the preview for the Freiburg game. And uh, just want to give a quick tease if you... Uh, Want, want me to rejudge that everything I just said uh, on the BVB part uh, you can uh, listen to that later as well so um, yeah do that uh, listen to the yellow wall part please still going forward and uh, to you Matthias uh, I wish you have a great week and we shall be back um, probably after the Chelsea game then after our Thursday episode so this is sort of the plan right now so um, I don't want to overdo it I think we need another uh, episode on Thursday to just preview the Bremen and the Chelsea game. In the meantime, everyone out there, um, have a great week, have a great weekend, and uh, yeah. until next time, thank you for listening, and goodbye.